0: started here at post show recaps hello everyone here are the two guys who will fight like brothers but make up like lovers it's me antonio mazzaro and i'm joined this week by my good friend josh wiggler josh how are you i am
1: doing well uh could you do me a favor antonio and check your left breast pocket very quickly
0: it turns out I'm not wearing a shirt.
1: Ah, uh, that's oh, awkward. this is awkward. Yes, that very awkward. There's a slice of pizza that uh, was frozen <laughs> and must be thawing in the shirt that you were wearing yesterday that is probably uh, just strewn about your room.
0: You know about my well-known sensitivity to pizza.
1: I do, I do. You're pizza allergic, which is yes. uh, difficult for our friendship.
0: It is. Uh, it's really rough. And listen, Josh, you have to accept me for the way I am and I appreciate that you've done that. Yeah. You are not the person who normally joins me to talk about Better Call Saul each week. I'm thrilled that you're here. I do miss Rob Sesternino, Josh. What was a great episode of Better Call Saul. I am looking forward to his take even though you and I uh, are Bay. Uh, he is uh, Saul Bay. Like he- we go way back. <laughs>
1: He's your Saul Bay. He's
0: yeah. my Saul Bay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys have been talking about this universe for uh what? Since the final season of Breaking Bad, so I feel like a stranger in these parts. But I, I do love the Breaking Bad. I do love the Better Call Saul. You did your full fledged rewatch of both shows. I only did a better uh, a Breaking Bad rewatch recently, so I'm I'm up to I'm up to date on all of those Easter eggs. But we picked an episode where like almost none of that matters, except for one very very nicely sized Easter egg. I will say nicely sized rather than big.
0: Yes, the end of that egg is triangular. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a, that was a good one. And, and it, your rewatch will come in handy, and I'm sure it has throughout the season, and mine has as well. But yeah, we certainly miss Rob. Rob is on assignment. He will be back next week. He's out of the country. He's in Toronto doing his putting on shows thing. Uh, Rob is a famous celebrity, of course. So here yes. we are. Yeah, I'm going to uh, yeah. be
1: chasing him down there in just a few minutes here. Once we're, once we're off this podcast, I'm on my way to skip the border and, and be with our big man Rob.
0: Oh, I guess it's just, I guess it's not uh, important enough for me to be there, but no big deal. That's on um, you. That's on you. <laughs> Listen, this is, not a, this is not a public forum for me to air my grievances, uh, of which there are none. That is something we saw on this episode. Josh. What a crazy episode of Better Call Saul. A courtroom drama now.
1: Courtroom drama. Uh, Better Call Salzburg, as we were saying before we came on here. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Is this the first courtroom drama episode of Better Call Saul? I mean, certainly we've been in the courtroom many times before, but like this is the first one that really does feel like, you know, like kind of the amc AMCification of Matlock.
0: <laughs> yes, 100%. And I will get into exactly how much that was on purpose. But yeah, it really is the most extended courtroom stuff we've seen on Better Call Saul. And for that matter, within the Breaking Bad universe at large, this is a full-on, not quite a trial, but certainly a hearing that lasts almost an entire episode. And I like the way everything built up to it that that was before the in-court stuff. And then we see, really, both sides of a case. Uh, Although we don't really see the defense side, we see the extensive cross-examination of Chuck. But that's ultimately enough, I think. We see the bulk of this thing. And uh, for Jimmy McGill, I think it's the most we've seen him in court as well. On the pilot episode, it sort of begins with his crazy, hilarious, impassioned defense of those young men who uh, were guilty of some sort of crime inside a funeral home. And that's really the most we've seen Jimmy in the courtroom on the show until now. We've seen him in in montage form. We've seen him in other, other elements. But this is really Jimmy At the height of his courtroom lawyer practice, uh, especially since he switched to elder law, he just doesn't get to court as much these days. So this is a thing. This is a hearing. He's cross-examining. He's really working the witness stand. And Kim Wexler is at her best as well. So this is a great episode for the courtroom drama of it all, but it does feel a little bit like A Few Good Men or something like that, which is something that's different for the Better Call Saul universe. And yet I think, Josh really a top-notch episode.
1: Chuck, did you order the code red? You're damn right
0: I did. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> you can't handle it. Like that's really the realm that we're yeah. trading in. Like this is uh, Chuck Nicholson. Chuck Nicholson, a few good men, uh, we got a, a great feedback email uh, suggesting from Christine Knox that it's similar to the cane mutiny, which I uh, have seen oh, I love seen. the cane mutiny. Yeah, that's one of your favorites, right?
1: I'm a fan of the cane mutiny. Chicane mutiny.
0: Chuck Kane mutiny, yeah. So that there there are all of these things. I love, in the trial, there's a little call-out, I think, to all of those courtroom shows, both with the the prestige, the move that Jimmy pulls off, the little trick, where by the end of the episode, the person really gets the tables turned on them with this big in-court sh- showdown. That's something you, you laugh about as almost cliche, and yet this show finds a way to pull it off in a very astounding way. There's also a great moment where the judge says to Jimmy something to the effect of, now I'm going to only let you go, but but watch yourself. And it's like, oh, this. they're just laughing as they're writing this because they're sampling from every fun courtroom show that I think that in another world they thought Better Call Saul maybe could be. Uh, and so that's really, really funny. And we'll, we'll really get into... All the aspects of how this episode was presented. Just a little business to get out of the way before we break everything down here. If this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, we do weekly episodic breakdowns of Better Call Saul here on our podcast every week at Post Show Recaps. If you want to send us feedback, we have an email address for this. We can You can email to bcs at postshowrecaps.com. That is bcs at postshowrecaps.com. You can also always go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. If you want to leave any web feedback, you can just send in the message from there. So we're certainly always appreciative of the feedback. We're also appreciative if you go to... Subscribe to this podcast. That's postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes, postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes for your podcast subscription link, your subscriptions, as well as your reviews and honest star ratings really help this podcast, get more eyes on it, get more ears on it, and get more voices in the conversation. So we're always very thankful for that. uh, And we are certainly welcoming people whose first time it is listening to this podcast. But yeah, Josh. We're not we're not about to bury the headline. That's the business. But this is incredible. Where do we go from here? Is Chuck McGill broken at this point?
1: I thought when you said we're not gonna bury the lead that we're just immediately gonna start talking about the fact that Huel's back
0: what <laughs> we he'll front, he'll yeah heels Huel, yeah, Huel's back heels front heels head he <laughs> yeah like this is uh less of Huel that he looks like a a, a little svelter man just here
1: Slighter Huel that's sad I mean I mean that's great for the actor I'm sure but you know for, for the character now it's like a little bit of a oh he's gonna go in a little bit of a tailspin
0: well yeah feel bad because they're, are they're gonna just show him like in various scenes just like binge eating with the idea that he's building to his character from Breaking Bad like are we going to see Huel breaking fatter like that would be uh, really sad I well, hope that's not the case
1: that's also assuming that this is like the start of Huel being on Better Call Saul in like a meaningful way or was this just like okay we can we get you know we've got the actor availability Lavelle Crawford is available for this one episode let's bring him in and now the people who have been asking where's Huel? how did Huel and Saul meet <laughs> they finally have their answer uh, but I don't know what. what's your instinct do you think that this is the start of seeing him more often on the show?
0: Oh, this season's going to be called Better Call Huel by next season. If it's not, I'll be very surprised. No, it's
1: Huel. Huel, yeah. Hule. yeah. It's the (laughs) spin-off prequel of Better Call Saul.
0: (laughs) It's funny, because even with the vet last night, I thought to myself, man, they... They really are working themselves into a position where if they wanted to, they could create little web series or even standalone prequels with some of these characters from Better Call Saul. It's like, how far back are we going to dial the dial on this universe? Are we going to do the Gus Fring backstory? Is we're going to do that within the context of uh, Better Call Saul? What about the vet? Like, what about Huel? Yeah, there are opportunities to spin off from a spin off that I think that fans of this show are really just getting into every time someone like that shows up or they build someone up. But Huel is one of them. No, it's great to bring Huel into this story at this point because we are still several years before Breaking Bad. So it does make sense that he's going to pop up in this story now as a useful player whenever it's necessary. But he's not a main character like Chuck. And my my question still stands like, is this it for Chuck McGill? After this trial, we see the exit sign wonderfully perched over his head. Uh, We had plenty of people tweeting about that. Matt Coleman sent in a tweet saying, man, that exit sign on the left uh, of Chuck's vision was perfect for Chuck at the end of that episode. And that's a great shot. Do you think that this is the beginning of the end for Chuck McGill? Does this find his way off the show in some point?
1: Man, I mean, it would be a very different show without Chuck. You know, the the central relationship of the show, to me, really is Jimmy and Chuck. You know, it's this brotherly rivalry, this sibling rivalry, and... I don't know about like everybody with a sibling, uh, but certainly I know you have two brothers. I have one brother. I certainly have had like my grievances with that guy, and he has had his (laughs) grievances with me. Never to this extent that the the epic rivalry of the McGill brothers. But it is such a hook, and I feel like this show does explore that kind of dynamic and the tension between siblings and the old grudges you harbor from like your childhood that you carry into your adulthood, into your deep adulthood. In the case of Chuck McGill. You know, it does it so much better than almost any other show that's on right now that I can really think of, or at least that I'm watching. Um, To lose that dynamic would be really, really tough because that's kind of been the special sauce, at least in the Jimmy storyline. The Mike storyline is obviously kind of its own show. Um, So, if we're to lose Chuck, you know, you'd have to think. At some point, although I guess, you know, we you know Chuck could still exist in, in Saul Goodman's life. We don't know what that stuff looks like, as, as you and Rob have talked through. And, you know, it just makes sense that there could be stuff that's going on there. Um, but I don't know. To, to exit, I kind of read it more as like, you know, Chuck's gambit against Jimmy has failed. And Chuck's plan to take Jimmy down, like that has exited stage left at this point or stage right whichever direction you'd prefer. Um, do you take this to mean that this is going to be the beginning of the end of Chuck on the show? Like we are about to lose Chuck from this program.
0: That Well, what I was thinking when I was watching the episode is if Chuck dies at the end of this episode, I'm okay with it. Like I, I really was, was thinking this could be it for Chuck. And if it is, we've wrapped up what happened with Rebecca. We now know that something, maybe she wanted to go on tour and become a musician and prioritized her career over staying in Albuquerque with Chuck. And it was an amicable parting for that reason. It really wasn't ultimately related to his condition or anything about him being a certain kind of person. It was just that they were separate in terms of what their goals out of life were. And that was an amicable parting, but his condition developed after that. We found out, really the genesis of a lot of what we were missing from the Chuck character. And so I thought, while I agree with what you're saying about how the show would change, I thought maybe it's fine. Like, that's an evolution, not necessarily a negative change. And I love Michael McKean's performance as Chuck. But at some point, the the legs go off that character. And the legs were taken out from under this character in this episode. So I did feel like, ultimately, that we could have even lost him in this episode It feels like this is a a big moment for Chuck. When you talk about his gambit failing, that is 100% true, but it failed in such spectacular fashion with people that he cares about most in the world watching from the gallery, with people whose careers he's helped build up watching from the bench and all of these things happening. He failed flamed out he epically melted down and even though he got his composure by the end and said any more questions Uh, it was very it was very hard to watch for Chuck McGill and I don't know how he goes back to any sort of normalcy which even for Chuck McGill is abnormal after this episode I think this is a a breaking point for Chuck and whether or not breaking bad point a breaking bad point Uh, this is a better call Chuck point like whether or not this is something That ultimately leads him to therapy, that marks a, a point in their relationship where it improves. He can really have a lot of ground to stand on in terms of vendetta against Jimmy. And when he points to this thing, he can say... Like, yeah, I set you up, but you broke you found some way into my house and took pictures like you brought Rebecca here. There are a lot of Jimmy grievances that are going to come out of this hearing. And I just don't know if Chuck McGill was so desperate that he was willing to lie and commit fraud and do all the things he did to set Jimmy McGill up last time. How is he going to respond in terms of what happened here? He could either break further bad and go darker, or I think he could just throw his hands up and say, all right, I need help.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, this this universe and like the storytelling of Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, like one of the things that's great about them, sort of in the same way, another show that you and I used to podcast about Justified, where like you would think that they were like setting up the ball to be like dunked down in one way. And then like the the point is made. This is a bad sports metaphor. It's just like made in a completely different way than you expect. So like we could be seeing this as something that's like being set up so that Chuck is going to be even more vengeful and more vindictive and he's going to come up with some sort of new plan and that is going to be what gets Jimmy towards Saul, um or it could go the other way, and like now you see like a completely repentant Chuck or Chuck could get hit by a car next week like there's just like no telling where it's going to go these you know these storytellers are really masters at setting your expectations up and then delivering on something else um, that being said, I do think this episode was a really kind of tremendous culmination of so much of what we've been driving at. You know, wondering where does does Chuck's resentment towards Jimmy really, really come from? And we saw a lot of that is rooted in family. It's rooted in, uh, in their parents and certainly in uh, their mother's final moments. And that comes out in Chuck's, like, mental, like, his complete breakdown, his complete collapse on the stand. He brings that up. I really love how they connected it back to his wife as well. But also one of the things that you're wondering this whole time is like, does Chuck really have a condition or is he just like kind of insane? Right. And I don't know. I mean, like the battery being in his pocket certainly suggests that a lot of this is in his head. Right.
0: Right. And that is something Jimmy's familiar with, uh, whether or not it was intended for the same point that Dr. who plays Selena's body double on Veep. Uh, the doctor from uh, the previous couple seasons of Better Call Saul at some point did pull a similar trick where she had something in her pocket and Chuck didn't know it was there, and he was fine. He wasn't showing any ill effects. And she showed it to Jimmy and said, like, look, this thing was in my pocket the whole time. This is not a physical reaction. It's a mental one. So that's one. a great
1: continuation and- of that idea, too. That's really cool.
0: Right, yeah. It is something that, that has happened on this show before, and it is something I think Jimmy, as a result, knew that this condition is more mental than physical, and Jimmy has resisted at all points using that against Chuck. He only took guardianship of Chuck last season when Chuck hit his head. Granted, after Jimmy started the series of events that led to Chuck hitting his head, but that's another matter entirely, but he only took that guardianship on so that he could under have Chuck undergo some tests. To make sure that he wasn't, you know, dying. And that's the only time Jimmy has really leaned into the mental aspect of this until now. And he really put it on center stage. And the reason that's important, of course, is this is a very weird hearing. Josh, have you been to many Bar Association hearings?
1: No, I've been to a few bars, but no Uh, Bar (laughs) Association hearings.
0: (laughs) That's too bad. You should really get in on their associations. There's a lot of uh, benefits. But yeah. This is, uh, this is not a very typical legal proceeding. Uh, when you go in front of a bar committee, as I understand it, I've never done that, thank God, uh, I do. I, it is a full hearing on the record, the results of which are published in a reporter. It is treated in many ways like a case, but as was discussed last week, the rules are a little bit lighter. So you can get in things like evidence that wouldn't normally be played, and there's a little more latitude for that. And as we saw, really, within the context of the hearing, there's a brilliant moment where Chuck is testifying on the direct testimony when he's testifying for the case that called him the state's case or the state bar association's case against Jimmy. And that state bar is going to kind of great lengths to make Chuck look normal by talking about his condition a little bit and talking about the elements of that. That's important because he's their witness. And he looks kind of bad, as we talked about last week on this podcast, on the tape. Uh, It's never a good defense for a lawyer to say, well, I was lying. I was play acting. That was just something I was doing. It
1: was theater.
0: It was theater. It was a bit of theater. Uh, Speaking of a bit of theater, uh, there's a great interview from your colleague at The Hollywood Reporter, Daniel Feinberg, with Michael McKean this week. And we'll put the link in the show notes here about Michael McKean's view of Chuck. Michael McKean currently uh, in a run on, on a Tony Award nominated revival on Broadway. So this is something that uh, that he is, uh, of course, doing a lot of play acting in, in the theater right now. Uh, and he, it's a different performance when you're doing a character on stage like that. One of the great questions that Daniel asks Michael McKean is how does your performance evolve versus when you're doing this on TV and you have to kind of record it in a one off and you're recording that day, not over seven or eight weeks on one scene or one thing over and over. And Michael McKean's views on Chuck and his views on how to perform this role are fascinating because he views Chuck as a bad guy. And he talks about how when you play a bad guy, you have to think about not whether or not they're right or whether or not they have a moral high ground or anything like that. But you have to think about what made them bad. Like, what is their genesis point where at some point they were human and then something happened that made them less relatable or less evil? And let's focus maybe on that motivation. And that can get you through a lot. And I do think, as you're saying, we see all of that come tumbling out of Chuck McGill on the stand here. In one the of like the of one
1: of the best shots of the entire series so far. Hundred percent says a lot. Cause there've been some incredible shots from like the Gus Spring introduction a few episodes ago, but this is oh my god! Just like the camera tightening in on Michael McKean and like really kind of like bringing you in to like the physical desperation that's going on there and probably the illness that's happening there and just like the feeling of claustrophobia that is just being engendered in that shot as Michael McKean is just losing it. Spectacular. It was so, so great. Super powerful, really chilling.
0: Yeah, this show does some great work with Chuck shorting out. Uh, We see it when he tries to steal the newspaper from the neighbor wearing the space blanket and dashing across the street like the world's worst superhero in season one. And we see it even the beginning of this episode in the cold open when we see one of the original uh, elements of chicanery. That is uh, the episode title. We see a scam that Chuck was pulling with Jimmy on Rebecca after he and Rebecca had divorced or at least separated and she was coming back to visit and his condition had already onset, he retrofitted his house to look normal and then he pretended the power was out and we have this these long moments of chicanery where he's pretending to be normal and pretending he's okay when in reality he's not and we see that that meltdown with her cell phone in that scene and we see it from Chuck's point of view we see like This I I don't want to say psychedelic, but it is very much of a manic shorting out. There are all these shots that are tilting, and the, the screen is getting distorted. And that's the feeling we've normally gotten about when Chuck melts down. We see that in the copy shop as well. But this was a slightly different version in that there weren't any effects. It was really just... The camera pushing in so tight on his face and then pulling back because at one point he got it together a little bit, but then pushing forward even more. And the performance by Michael McKean is incredible. Like uh, you talk about a stage actor that is a theatrical performance like that is a monologue and it is delivered with just such uh, crazy aplomb and gusto. And as you said, gusto, uh, friend. That not. A uh, not Gusto Fring. Exactly. Uh, as you said, like, it really is just so much of everything that's gone on between these two brothers. And of course, the entire episode's been building to this and the episode before it. But in many ways, the entire Jimmy and Chuck storyline has been building to this, right? Like, this is the moment where all of this comes to a head in that, as I was saying, Jimmy hasn't had Chuck committed, but and he's pitied his disease. But he has probably seen it as more of a mental disease and somehow pitied that. Howard has done that. All these people in Chuck's life, because of who Chuck is, because of the force of his personality, because of his intelligence, because of his charisma, all of those things have given Chuck license to essentially have a mental problem that he treats as a physical one and doesn't get mental treatment for. A doctor hasn't even diagnosed it. So I feel like at the end of this, Chuck is a broken man. And I think the next step is probably some kind of treatment. And I just don't know where that leaves us. I don't know. If that leaves us uh, in a position where Chuck evolves and is better or if Chuck devolves and is worse. As I said, I was speculating that he could die by the end of this episode. Uh, we've had darker feedback coming in uh, and people suggesting uh, that ultimately that this could be a appropriate ending. And uh, this is from Jim Duchesne. Jim said a Chuck suicide would make for a very powerful season ender, and would set in motion the changes that are to come. Someone dying of natural causes isn't necessarily a life-changing event, but a suicide. And I think when he calls a, a when I think when Jim is referring to a life-changing event, he's referring to the fact that that Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman is going to become darker as a character. And we've often speculated that something is going to drive him further and further down. uh, And it might be a big incident. It seems more likely that something with Kim, but Josh, could you see that evolving from a child? I thought maybe that Jimmy would get into a position where he felt like he had killed his brother. yeah, And that would be something that would make him darker.
1: Yeah, no, but I think that, you know, he doesn't have to have, you know, it doesn't have to be a suicide for Jimmy to have felt like he contributed to his brother's death or to like some real real moment of despair some incredible downward spiral i think that this would do it you know what happened here like this was a very dark thing that Jimmy resorted to, uh, and you could argue that Jimmy was pushed into this position, uh, though Jimmy also really did make his bed here he <laughs> he you know he did he did do exactly what Chuck is alleging, and now he's making Chuck look like a lunatic publicly as a self preservation measure, like you're trying to come after you know my ability to be a lawyer, you're trying to disbar me. I have to do everything that I can to survive and keep my livelihood intact. You shouldn't have made this public, and now I have to make you look like a shmohawk. Uh, So that's that's tough, and I mean, that could be the thing. Like, that in and of itself, like, this could be a breaking point, as you said, a breaking bad point for Chuck, where we could see that this is the thing that really, really turns him. And I think that alone, you know, it would require, I think, you know, further reflection and, like, further scenes that really dwell upon this moment, but this episode... Does feel like the eye of the needle that a lot is going to be threaded through. Um, I just, I have a hard time seeing Chuck killing himself. I have a hard time imagining him committing suicide. Uh, It just doesn't seem super in character. But one of the most devastating aspects of suicide is it typically comes out of nowhere from the observer's perspective. It's like, holy crap. I had no idea that person was in such a such a dark place, and that how could this have happened? You know, it just it feels like completely out of nowhere. So it could be very very dark and compelling if that's the way that they go. Um, the, it yeah, wasn't something st- that I was considering.
0: The stuff that's interesting about that, right, is that Rebecca is is now at least nominally in the story for I don't know if she's going to show up for another episode, two, three more episodes. I really don't know how that's going to play out. That could be it,
1: too. I mean, she's crying at the end. She's divorced from Chuck. This might be enough to just like I got to wash my hands of the McGills. I got to get out of here.
0: Could be. Uh, She said she's in town for a few days. She does seem to still care about Chuck. I think the evidence that this is a mental condition, it seems like she came back because she was worried about that aspect of it and his health. And now he's displayed in public view that his health is fully in question and it's not just his physical health it's his mental health so I do think she's going to be on board for some of it you're right it could be it though I mean like this could be she seems like one of the nicest people in the world Uh, we haven't seen the dark side of Rebecca yet Uh, she just seems to be so kind and caring and understanding and in part that might be why Chuck tried to keep it from her uh, because he thought it looked like weakness and he didn't want to look weak to a person that he cared so much about Uh, but I thought that was fascinating that that she's there Jimmy brought her in we had a tweet from the great Scott St. Pierre Josh Uh, Miss Scott St. Pierre I I haven't talked to him in a while yes yeah scott said that i'm not sure why the ex-wife needed to be there um did you think that rebecca being there was the linchpin in all this or was it just a something like a chuck basically says why he thinks rebecca is there to set him off and did you think that there was a direct line between rebecca being there and where chuck ends up at the end of the episode
1: well i think it certainly helps uh just, just really quickly riffing on this uh one of the things that i love about this show is how like Something really clever will happen in the series and in the story. And then episodes later, they will, like, pull the curtain back or pull the lens back further and dial back further in time to, like, kind of show you the origin of an idea. So, like, Jimmy, you know, fudging the numbers, like, changing the address so subtly uh, to, to get Kim into Mesa Verde, to, like, take that away from Chuck, that ignited this whole thing. You now see what its origin is in this episode, right? Like that moment yeah. in, in, in the you know in the in the cold open where Chuck and Jimmy are orchestrating this elaborate lie, so Chuck can kind of make I don't know I don't know what is it a grand gesture for Rebecca? Is it just to mask the fact that he's sick and he doesn't want her to know? But his whole story about why the power is out is because there was a switching of the numbers on, a dr- on an address from 512 to 215. I just thought that that was a really clever retroactive thing that the writing, uh, that, that was in the writing of this episode. I thought that that was spectacular. Um, beyond that, you also get this moment at the end of the cold open, like after Rebecca has taken the call uh, and Chuck freaks out and like hangs up the phone and says, it's very rude for you to do that. And then she leaves the room and she's about to go call a cab and Jimmy's like, just tell her what's going on. Would you rather her think that she that you're just like some jerky prick, uh who you know, who like is just like totally rude? Or do you wanna let her know what's really going on with you? And like at all costs, he's going to protect his pride, he's gonna protect his condition, he's not gonna go into any of that stuff. And you see that this is kind of you were talking about like the genesis of, of things. This is sort of the origin of of how we got to this moment on the stand. It's, you know, Chuck being unwilling to really open up and being unwilling to really show any sign of weakness. And I think that you see a moment like that here with his wife. And so to tie it all back together, she's clearly a weakness for him. Clearly he's unsettled. He was so, you know, he was so guarded with her in that scene. And I think that Jimmy does know that this will at least get him off his game a little bit. It'll get him off balance. And then when he goes for the real kill, which is the battery in the pocket that's going to be the moment that's really going to undo everything. But that alone maybe wouldn't be enough. That paired with the, uh, the reemergence of Rebecca, that's probably going to be the nail in the coffin.
0: Well, it's a classic like courtroom drama move, right? Like you have an unexpected person walk into the courtroom, and the witness that's as, on the stand as sees them. Chuck
1: even says, you know, he's like, yeah. "What? Do you think that this is just like you know, like the classic Matlock episode where now, I'm right? Gonna be, where I'm going to come undone?" It's like actually, yeah, right.
0: It, it, it's so fun that I, I, like I said, I know that they're laughing as they're writing lines, like, "I'll allow it, but watch yourself, counselor." Yeah, uh, like they're just having fun playing on what this show could have been originally as conceived. There was a consideration of Making Better Call Saul, a half-hour courtroom comedy, uh, and that it would center around the antics of this funny guy from the Breaking Bad universe. And when they sat down and really started exploring the universe, they realized what they had, I think, and they went in a different direction. But this is, I I think, on some level, with some of the pastiches that are in play here— I think that this is definitely what they were looking at, like, oh, this is what might have been we 're going to have a little fun here we 're going to have Jimmy pull a matlock trick because of course he would. He has like modeled himself after Matlock in his elder law practice. He dresses like him for crying out loud like this is a thing that he does. He talks about he 's watched him on TV to get his words and phrasing down like this is a thing that is relevant to Jimmy McGill, so of course he does that uh, but All of that, I think, is by means of really distracting Chuck. As you said, getting Chuck off of his game... To the point where he is susceptible to the breakdown. It isn't just that the battery's in the pocket, and it's this aha take on me moment where. <laughs> <clears throat> well, sorry about that. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, flashes before my eyes. We're blending two podcasts together, and we're yeah. going to get into more of that in a minute. But ultimately, it's this big moment where where that has happened, and it it has happened not in a vacuum. It's happened to a guy whose defenses have already been broken down, who's already emotionally vulnerable as a result of Rebecca being in the courtroom, and who is really prideful to the point where he wants to make it clear on the stand that this is not a mental condition. He's saying that in part because Rebecca's in the audience, right? Like he is saying publicly, but also in a person to person convo with her from the stand, I am mentally fine. My brain is good. I have a physical condition that I can't do anything about. It's just an allergy. Josh, for crying out loud! This guy, this martyr, Chuck McGill, compares himself to AIDS patients.
1: <laughs> He's such an asshole.
0: <laughs> he really is. F Chuck is like the all-time. It's like the steady hashtag yeah, for this show. Like, he, it's just, he is, but I feel bad for him too. Um, I don't. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't. I mean, I do feel bad for him, but it, my my feeling bad for him has some limits, for sure. He's I, oh, well, of past course.
1: Him. It, it has limits, for sure. But you know. I I think, you know, he's somebody who's sick. He's somebody who's sick and he, it not just, you know, mentally ill pro- probably um, or, you know, in his mind, physically ill. So, like, take, take away the – what is it called? EES or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, EMS, yeah. Take that out of the mix. You know, this is a guy EMF. who is, like, sick with loathing and sick with grudges and sick with just, like, this deep, deep-seated vendetta against his brother that has just, like, perverted him over time. And, you know, that's not to say that, like, uh, you know, you, you can't be, like, repulsed by some of his actions, and you can't think that he's just, like, such a shit sometimes. But at the same time, I have empathy for somebody who's, like, that broken, like, somebody who is that dark, like, somebody who feels like they have to get the better of this person at all costs at every turn that you have to disbar your brother because the law is sacred and that's not really the reason the reason is because you want to win you want a victory against this guy um you know it's it's a really really sad man that we're looking at here uh and is he worthy of scorn a million percent yes but is he worthy of some empathy too on that level in my heart yeah
0: yeah, there's there's definitely some mental illness going on. And unfortunately uh and I shouldn't say unfortunately. Unfortunately for Chuck, that is there's a huge stigma uh on on that. And it would especially be the case for a man whose self-worth is based on how well his brain works, right? Who is so insistent. It's 1216, it's 1 year after the Magna Carta. How could I ever make that mistake? Like he's so insistent that the genesis of all of this Was the first slight in terms of the moving of the numbers with the Mesa Verde thing because it made Chuck so humiliated and because it did put his mental stability right center stage like that was a thing that was put on trial at that moment. And that is something that Chuck really because so much of his self worth is wrapped up in his brain doesn't want to lean into but there's clearly something more going on there his condition has always been inconsistent right whether it's the doctor having something in her pocket whether it's him being able to saunter out to the curb after jimmy has been caught and really gloating over jimmy as jimmy's sitting on the curb without any kind of anything because later when the da from out of town shows up to his house he won't even come outside to greet her right so it seems to come and go as he wants in season one when he's super excited to be caught up working on the Sandpiper case. Jimmy is dead tired, falls asleep on Chuck's couch. Chuck goes out to Jimmy's car without even thinking about it to get papers out of the car. And Jimmy's like, Chuck, like, hey, you're outside. And then Chuck drops the papers and is like, oh, uh, yeah, well. So it is very clearly something that even Chuck realizes might be mental, but he does not want to lean into that aspect of it. And it's just there are all these accommodations or things that – seems so needed and that he's given because of who he is and the reality is it's it's something much different than just a physical sensitivity uh, we had a funny question from Amanda Fallon who emailed in and said how can Chuck ride in cars comfortably I'm no Benny or anything but don't cars have batteries uh, don't cars have batteries is a very valid question Josh and yeah Chuck McGill he just seems to be able to do exactly what is necessary at a bare minimum to get by uh, and right Riding in a car to the courthouse is fine, but there better be a reserved parking spot out front because we don't want to drive around circling for parking. Right. We've got to get him out of that car as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, once again, one of the things on this show that, that is just really um, – and you saw it in, in Breaking Bad, of course, in a huge, huge way, is there's there's something about like being the hero of your own story and the hero of your own narrative and – You know, we're watching, you know, in the case of Breaking Bad, you know, you know that Walter White, what he's doing, you know, he's he's doing horrible, horrible things. But in his mind, there's always a justification for it. There's always there's always a reason to be going down the roads that he's traveling. Um, I think that one of the things that helps me empathize with Chuck is when you're. You know, when you have the camera on him in a moment like this in this episode, at the end of the episode, where you are really being drawn into, like, what the physical discomfort it must be like to live this guy's life. Um, and the moment that you mentioned earlier, like, when he drops the mail once he realizes he's outside and everything like that. Um And also like the like when the when the camera is just like really steadily on him under the space blanket when he's outside. Like, you know, in his mind, all of this is real. There's a real, you know, like three dimensionality to these characters that I think that's what really helps you empathize with somebody who might be on another show, just like a clear cut villain. I think that there's a little more three dimensionality here.
0: And it is interesting, as you said, uh, for you. This show has become the show of Jimmy and Chuck. Like that central relationship is the central relationship. I mean, there's a lot.
1: There's a lot of relationships at play. For me, that's the one in the Jimmy storyline that I find. To be like kind of the hub of all things The Cassandra of the storyline as it were uh, I, think, I think obviously Kim and Jimmy is very central as well But I, I do think that the Kim and Chuck thing In terms of or the Jimmy and Chuck thing uh, I think that that's really That's really really key to the conflict That has been surrounding Jimmy's life this entire show
0: Well and conflict is the key word there Because we saw Jimmy mixing it up When when he and Chuck were on better terms in season one We saw him mixing it up with Nacho And others from the criminal underworld in the context of the first season. And that really doesn't, there's no one positioned against Jimmy as one character there in that story. Uh, and uh, we saw him in a little bit of a conflict with Davis in Maine in season two. Not that Ed Begley was a bad guy in any stretch, but that that was something that was in play. Uh, but Chuck has always, in, in many ways, been the big bad of this story for Jimmy. We really saw that come to a head. At the end of season two, and even though he's not a villain, as you're pointing out, there's a lot of dimensionality there. He's been positioned as oppositional to Jimmy, and that's the conflict, I think, where the show has gotten the most grist from the Jimmy McGill storyline. The conflicts where Jimmy has uh, descended with Nacho or with Davis and Maine, they don't have the legs that this conflict has, and they found so much value in this. And I think it's in part due to the performances and the dynamic between the actors. Um, That piece with Daniel Feinberg goes into the details about how Chuck was developed. And they're very clearly writing Chuck for the way that Michael McKean is interested in playing him. And if you read that interview with Michael McKean, it's impossible to not hear Chuck McGill talking when you're reading Michael McKean's answers in a way that it's, it's very much like it is... Unique in terms of interviews with actors on shows. He comes off as very Chuck-like, very fastidious, attention to detail, looking for picayune things to pull out and say, well, this thing actually made me feel a certain way. Like, there are all (laughs) these things. like McKean shade. Michael McKean but it is it is there like he's a great actor like there's it's a phenomenal performance and never more so uh, at least in terms of this series than this ending of this episode, but they are writing Chuck uh, in many ways and the dynamic has evolved because of what the actors have found between themselves so kudos and shout out to everyone involved in the creation of these characters and the writing. This is an episode, Josh, where normally I think we're often checking our watch or or being like, when are we going to get to the mic and saw stuff? A lot of people who watch this show think that uh, and yet or Mike and and Gustav and and yet uh, throughout this episode, I was texting. I know you love it when I do that. I I I text other people that aren't you during the episode makes me
1: very jealous.
0: Uh, hashtag jealous Josh. But uh, but yeah, the uh, I was texting like no Gus or Mike and I don't even care. And they never showed up in this episode. And it's unquestionably one of the best episodes of the series, in my opinion. So they have found a way to really make this conflict pop. And I don't know where it goes from here. That's what I'm most interested in discussing. That's what we've talked a lot about. Because I don't know, as I said, I felt like I could have been done with it. It could have ended with Chuck falling over in that courtroom. At one point, he's grabbing his neck. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to stroke out like this is it. Yeah. And it doesn't happen uh, because I thought I thought, okay, the copy room, the coffee, the copy shop blow up. Was a huge blow up And he nearly died in that scene So to make this feel like a bigger blow up I thought they were going to have to take it to 11 Uh, Speaking of Michael McKean I thought these were going to have to go to 11 Uh, But no, uh, they found a way to do that Just through the performance And the way the camera was working Uh, Really just phenomenal stuff And poor Chuck, yes He does have his own personalized parking spot I don't know if he has a car, Josh If Chuck McGill uh, wanted a car uh, if If he recovers somehow And he gets into a position where he gets back in the car, I think he could contact our friends over at True Car, Josh.
1: Yeah, I think that's true, Antonio. I think that's absolutely true.
0: Yeah, the the thing about Chuck McGill is he's a detail-oriented guy, Josh, and in order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need pricing context. That's information that empowers you to feel confident, confident like Chuck McGill. With True Car, you'll see that a lot of other people in your local market are buying cars and you'll see what they paid for the car that you want. From there, you can connect to a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident, car buying experience. You can easily find the car you want. They're going to show you, as I said, what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now that you know what a fair price is, you can feel confident, confident like Chuck McGill. Uh, but maybe you feel confident like Jimmy McGill because you've got this extra information that other people don't know about uh, because you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a true car certified dealer for an actual vehicle in their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. There are over 13,000 certified true car dealers, Josh, with over 700 pre-owned vehicles, 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available, and the average savings of over $3,000 off MSRP. $3,000, Josh, that'll uh, that'll help you retrofit your kitchen, I think, if you've got to put some electricity back in.
1: Wasn't MSRP a podcast we used to do here on Post Show Recaps? No, sorry, that was most Shows Recap.
0: <laughs> yes, most Shows Recap Podcast, MSRP. Yes. Uh, yes, that's something we used to do. But MSRP, Manufacturer Suggested Retail Price, True Car Users. Save an average of over $3,000, like I said. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Not sure about New Mexico.
1: Wow. Very good stuff, Vantario. That's your first ad read.
0: That's not true. I've done ad reads. It's my first ad read on post-show.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: Yeah, but uh, it's it's all for Chuck McGill. This is a, I feel like we have to. Uh, I feel like we have to midwife Chuck now into some <laughs> new form of being. Like, that
1: is just like a vivid, vivid mental image that I'm not enjoying <laughs> right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Benjamin Button disease, Josh. Oh, You'll see. weird! That's fantastic. Very uh, weird. No, it is really. I feel like Chuck is at a at a certainly at a point where. That might be his exit, uh, as the sign uh, so poignantly indicated. that might be his exit from his legal career. I thought maybe from the show, uh, but it, it really feels like we're at a point now where Chuck has to change adapt evolve or or just die. but I could also
1: and- see it being like it's an exit for his sanity and it's an exit for his tact and it's right a, it's an exit for yes. you know like any of like the conventional rules that he's been playing by, and now he's ready, like if he already was resorting to Jimmy tactics in order to corner Jimmy in the first place with the recording, like I think that he's ready to go like full saw. Like I think that Chuck is the guy who could potentially like really just go scorched earth against his brother and I would be very afraid of what that would look like.
0: Well, that's why I'm fascinated by, by what happens to the Chuck McGill character from here. If he normalizes and gets back to the point where he's buying cars on True Car, uh, or if he gets <laughs> right. to the point where he is what you just said, where he descends into madness, where this is if I've always thought that Jimmy McGill is a drain and that the people involved in Jimmy's orbit are just circling that drain and he's pulling them all down where he is. And that is certainly what has happened with Chuck. Uh, even though we see that Chuck was capable of chicanery and lying uh, in the flashback before Or Jimmy McGill really... Put himself in a position where he angered Chuck Or brought on the wrath of Chuck In a very significant way Chuck has done some horrible things from a legal perspective I can tell you his little blow up where he reveals Details about his previous Case with Jimmy the Chicago sunroof Incident that's not great there's an attorney Client privilege there which Jimmy retains So it I don't think It's for Chuck to ultimately break that Privilege in open court like he did Uh, So that's problematic everything That happened is really problematic for Chuck McGill and I think it's It's a case loser in that respect. We don't ultimately see how the hearing with Jimmy resolves. But this is one of those situations where if you're the state at this point, you're probably going to try to come to some settlement rather than just outright lose. Right. And that could be what gets us to Saul Goodman. Uh, We have often speculated that the result of this hearing could be that Jimmy ends up practicing law under the name Saul Goodman, that that becomes a thing. But we also heard him say in Better Call, in Breaking Bad, that the reason for the Saul Goodman change was he wanted criminal clients to think that he was a Jewish lawyer because they wanted a Jewish lawyer uh, because they were criminals. And that was another, again, TV and movies relationship that he wanted to cultivate. Uh, he 's not a criminal attorney right now josh he 's an elder law guy, so i don 't know if that wouldn't if his origin story from Breaking Bad was a little bit of a lie or a little bit of a a puffery statement to make him seem like a harder edge dude to Walter White or what the deal is there, but we could see a settlement coming out of this hearing now we could see the state bar saying, okay, we know we 're not going to win this thing." Would you be willing to settle for something rather than let the panel decide? And I think Jimmy would probably be amenable to that, depending on what the settlement was. And we could see a name change coming out of that. But I think it's fair to say Jimmy's going to continue to practice law. I just don't know where that leaves Chuck. Uh, he made it so personal, Josh. And this will get us into um, just we have a couple more key things to discuss before we wrap up here. The the Howard element of this episode is fascinating. I love
1: Howard Hamlin, by the way yeah he's great, right? <laughs> he's just like his total like robot face. There was yeah. that scene last season where the camera was just on him as he was just robot walking away in like total, total quiet <laughs> rage.
0: The There's, T1000 yeah. yeah,
1: it's just so so good. I don't know. I love Howard Hamlin. and I also love him because he has a soft spot for Jimmy, so that makes me like him a little bit more, although maybe less and less these days.
0: Well, he there is an interesting thing going on there, and it isn't just his soft spot for Jimmy, which is certainly evident, uh, which is certainly evident. Uh, He has this thing where he does have to control the image of that law firm of HHM, the law firm with his name and Chuck's name on it. And this image, he tries to prevent it from taking the hit that it definitely takes when Chuck loses it on the stand. Howard has this scene where he's like, listen, you don't have to testify. Like, we don't have to do this. Uh, And and look what happens. Like, look what happens. This is exactly what Howard didn't want. So the question is, where is Howard going to be with Chuck after this? Howard Mm. tried to stop this. Chuck made it personal.
1: Yeah. I just, how about this? How about that? So, so how about that? Cash me outside. So we have this we have this moment where where Chuck does exactly what you're saying, where like he kind of he kind of screws the reputation of Hamlin Hamlin and McGill here a little bit. Um could you see the scenario where, you know, if Howard has this connection with Jimmy where they have at least a working relationship, if not a little bit of fondness between them, could you see Howard buying Jimmy's name? Like, could you see howard giving jimmy money or some sort of deal between them like hey you know practice whatever like do whatever you want to do just don't be jimmy mcgill don't be mcgill don't like sully our reputation any further and that could lead us to a Saul goodman identity
0: possibly and i can see jimmy not wanting the name mcgill anymore right like after everything that's happened with chuck and after everything that's been evident throughout like jimmy has idolized chuck and now I'm not sure that they're on that same page anymore. So maybe Jimmy just doesn't want to be... And I'm not talking about Page from Mesa Verde. No. I, I don't think Jimmy wants to ultimately Or the Americans. Be, or the Americans. Uh, I don't think Jimmy ultimately wants to be... That McGill anymore. I think that there's that element of it as well. Yeah, it's his name, but the name is so wrapped up in everything between he and Chuck that now we've really brought that to a head. I can see him being amenable to giving up the name. Before that, I feel like his name is his everything. Like McGill, the McGill name is something he saw as honorable and as necessary to part of his personality. And now that he's had this crazy blowout with Chuck, he may, maybe won't want to be McGill anymore. But I'm more concerned about how Howard is going to respond to Chuck. I mean, he can't buy the Chuck McGill name out because that's on the law firm. And right now, Chuck's the one making him look worse than Jimmy does. Yeah. So I don't know because Howard two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Howard was coming to the uh, coming to Chuck's house before right before the blow up. And he was saying, I don't want to pay for this private investigator anymore. Like uh, this is something where we can't run these bills up and I don't want to keep doing this and uh, in, he was already really not fully on board with what Chuck was doing and now we get to a position where he in this episode is not on board with the very thing that happens I don't think I think it's a fool me twice scenario at this point I think Howard's going to put his foot down and he is also maybe going to be loving and supportive of Chuck but not going to allow Chuck to continue to do the things he does Howard brilliantly observes the only reason 1216 1261 happened to begin with is because Chuck refused to allow those documents to be stored at HHM securely. They were available in Chuck's house, which was open season and not a secure client based place. That jeopardizes business. It lost them a client, but it makes them look really bad. I'll tell you, uh, Howard's ahead of the curve here because we're in the flip phone era on Better Call Saul, but document security, as we know, Josh, uh, has become a very significant and important thing in the modern world. So this is a very clear problem that is presented by the accommodations they've made for Chuck. And I think enough is enough. I think this is it for Howard as well. And even though Rebecca and Howard are going to be on Chuck's side to an extent, I think that they're they're going to be seeing themselves as a little bit oppositional to Chuck in that Chuck probably has not previously thought he needs mental help. Maybe now he'll come around to thinking that he does. And I'm just interested to see where that character will go. As you said, it could mean that he pushes them away as well and goes totally nuts. And that's the version of the show where it ends this season with him probably killing himself or dying otherwise. Uh, The version of this season where it doesn't happen is maybe where he gets his stuff together. But I'm interested by that story. Poor Chuck. I mean, he said, "Oh, I see. This isn't about me or my health." Well, actually, Chuck, that's everything that it was about. And he spouts off the English translation of a of a Latin legal phrase, uh, which is ultimately that. Uh, let justice be done, uh, is what he says, though the heavens fall. He's basically saying, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, justice is going to be done. Well, that's exactly what happened to poor Chuck McGill. Um, some other great moments from this episode, Josh. How about Kim cross-examining Howard? How great was that?
1: It's, uh, you know, she's awesome. Uh, Kim is, is just a spectacular, spectacular character. Uh, and she's, you know, I, I think... Really, season two was where she really, really came out of her shell. I think, but she's such like a stable force on this show. Like, she's just such a rock star at what she does. To watch her in the courtroom was really, really wonderful. And again, if I'm if I'm a Howard guy, then I'm a fan of that scene as well. Round Howard Hamlin, uh, you know, I I really enjoyed that. I really loved watching Kim here. You know, Kim just being ride or die with Jimmy and willing to go this far is uh, is pretty crazy as well.
0: Yeah, and the the stuff between her and Howard wasn't, uh, it could have been a lot dirtier. She does throw this nepotism in his face which is pretty dirty, but she doesn't do it to make him look bad. She does it to undermine Chuck, uh, because the point was being made that Jimmy would not be allowed at HHM because they didn't want it to look like nepotism when there's literally a name partner who is a name partner because his father was a name partner. And so I'm sorry, like your firm is built on nepotism. It's right there in your name. So for this, why would you do it for you and not for Chuck's brother, who is another family member? Uh, it certainly is a, a difficult leg for, for Howard to stand on. But I love the way he said, no, Jimmy actually did get another job with Davis and Maine. I'd be happy to talk about that if you'd like. Like, right. I love that he's he's like, oh, he's still Howard Hamlin. He's sitting on that, th- that chair like a king, like legs crossed, just like very relaxed, not getting rattled. Like, Howard is great in that scene. And it's just so delicious to see his ultimately like his charge, like his Padawan. In the courtroom taking him down like it's brilliant and she scores some points, but he gets some counter punches in and that's a really, really good scene. Yeah, great performance by Ray Sayhorn. She's just so good. We also see her winning quote unquote with uh, with with Mesa Verde in that we, we see the aftermath of what is another hearing, uh, the hearing that Chuck had previously blown, uh, and we see that she's won. She's got that taken care of. She's fixed that problem. And the guy from Mesa Verde couldn't be more impressed with her. When he walks away, Paige is like, are you sure this McGill thing isn't going to hurt Mesa Verde? And Kim says it doesn't involve Mesa Verde at all. Are these words that are going to come back to haunt Kim Wexler, Josh?
1: I would expect so. Um, oh, I don't want to see this. I know. I I would expect so only uh. only because you do imagine, and this is something that uh, that Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan have talked about. Is like they can't imagine, even though like there is room for interpretation in Breaking Bad of what Saul Goodman's home life is like. He could still be Jimmy McGill at home, technically. I think there's also like it's hard to imagine Kim being with that guy. And what's going to get her away from that guy and what's going to push Jimmy closer to Saul? I think that something, you know, something tough happening in Kim's life that does end up stemming from everything that happened with Jimmy. Like I could see some like retroactive resentment coming into play. Um, yeah, I would I would bet that this comes back to bite her.
0: Yeah, Jimmy McGill's a drain, and she's circling it. And I just think she's going to get sucked down, and I do think the Mesa Verde thing is going to be part of it. Uh, I don't know that she was lying to them. I think that there are some people that could read that that way. Uh, before that, she straight-up told them what Chuck's allegations were, that Mesa Verde documents were... Falsified that that is the mud that he's slinging around that it does involve Mesa Verde and it involves that very same hearing that they just got done doing the redo of so they know their name is in it yet she tells Paige it doesn't involve Mesa Verde it's not really a lie because she has made it clear that they're involved but it it seems like she doesn't think there'll be blowback and if you see a vengeful Chuck next episode that may be what he comes at like he may really come at Mesa Verde to hurt Kim to hurt Jimmy uh, Jimmy used Rebecca to hurt Chuck uh, you could see this very same thing happening if Chuck is off the rails him using Kim to hurt Jimmy and that's that's what I'm most worried about ultimately is that if we have a Chuck that's off the rails the first thing he's going to come at to really get at Jimmy is going to be Mesa Verde for Kim and yeah. that's my biggest concern uh, a couple other quick hits Josh here before we wrap up Johnny De Silvera, uh pointed out as you said a great little breaking bad thing and we're taking us into the world of breaking bad with uh, the potential relationship with jim and kimmy we saw Hule come back uh we had a great uh, the email from amanda on the subject line was just Hallelujah. um <laughs> johnny De Silvers said is it only a matter of time before we see Kuby?" uh can we get bill burr back on this show josh
1: do we want to
0: do we want to? <laughs> I think we want to. Yeah, I, think, I, guess, I think I think Bill think Burr is point. hilarious uh, and yeah. I would I don't know I think seeing a guy like that who's a natural comedian in this universe where there is a lot more funny to be played. I think we're just hoping that that could happen.
1: That'll happen someday. You know, it, even if it's like the final episode of the show and it finally catches up with Breaking Bad and that's where they bring him in. Like, we'll, you'll see that. There's, there's too many characters from the Breaking Bad timeline that have been pulled back into this and now with Huel being in place as well. They'll bring him back. Uh, it's, just, it's really just a matter of when. Um, I would expect probably deeper into the run, uh but then watch next week. He'll just be on the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. We need uh we need Bill Burr to read our true car copy. I'm not familiar I don't know if you know about the incident where he read copy from one of his sponsors, Sherry's Berries. But if you haven't heard that, look it up on YouTube, Bill Burr on his podcast reading the copy for Sherry's Berries, which he clearly had not seen before he read it, and he loses his mind while he's reading it. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you, that's the sort of thing you need to rehearse. Like Chuck Chuck was rehearsing his testimony in this episode, Josh. It came off like a serial killer to me, where he was like like understanding emotions but trying to fake them uh, and ultimately I just love that Chuck played himself like this is something where he set all this up he set himself up for this great failure uh, and it was really just a, a terrible thing uh, but but Huel played a huge part in this the The element of the bump, and, uh, the bump and run as we said where he bumps in were you pretty sure that was going to be Huel from the jump as soon as Jimmy's talking to that vet and that vet says like does he need to fit into a tight space that's very clear going to be Hule at that point right
1: probably like I think you know you're 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 looking for the connections on this show and you've been waiting for the Hule shoe to drop and there it is I do think that that definitely serves to tip you off like it, yeah. it's one of those things where like if you're listening if you're paying attention if you're watching the show closely and if you remember Breaking Bad pretty well a line like that you're pretty close to being like oh god I think that they're gonna have Hule on the show
0: yeah, and more Huel related stuff are our Albuquerque correspondent PJ in Albuquerque noted that there are no Albuquerque courthouses with stairs like that. But that's a great filming uh, and plot point element that they worked into this. They found a way to make that happen. That's not shot at an actual courthouse in Albuquerque. Uh, or if it is the steps there may be part of a different part of a thing. So they found a way to make Huel really work. Huel's really worked on this show uh, in previous seasons or in Breaking Bad seasons, I should say. Chris Eden rightly observes like perhaps Huell did partake in another quote-unquote light touch at the behest of Jimmy McGill. We know Huell not only was involved with the rice and cigarette, but also removing some drugs from Jesse Pinkman's pocket. Uh, That's what makes Jesse realize the rice and cigarette was Huell as well. So anytime that this sort of thing is needed, it's a Better Call Hule moment going forward. For Jimmy McGill. So anytime Jimmy needs to plant or remove some kind of item, heals his man, and I can't wait to see what other things we get into with that. Did you like Jimmy meeting with the vet?
1: I did. I liked that. I think I, I listen. The, the further and further we're getting Jimmy into kind of crooked territory means the closer and closer we're getting to Saul Goodman, which means the more and more you know kinetic this storytelling is going to become. Um, and I I love the pacing of Better Call Saul. I know it's not for everybody. It is a really slow show in a lot of respects. Um, but eventually we know that this car is going to be crashing into a tree, and we're watching it in slow motion. And the more that you get scenes like that with Jimmy and the vet. Or Jimmy bringing Huel into the mix, the you know we're we're pushing down a little bit further on the accelerator. So I'm I'm good with that. I know that it's it's hard to watch too because you just want Jimmy and Kim to be happy and everything, but we also know that that's not necessarily going to be at least. You know, maybe there's in the Gene timeline, there's some, there's some redemption possible, but at least for a period of time, a significant period of time, it's going to be pretty dark. We just know that. That's baked into the recipe of this show. So the further we're getting to that point, the more compelling the show is going to be. So, yeah, any time we can get Jimmy a little bit deeper into the trenches, I'm on board for it.
0: Yeah, and one final note about that, and we'll close with this. I thought it was fascinating that when Jimmy was cross examining Chuck and trying to get out, like, what element, why he was hiding the disease, he said, Well, let's say you had lung cancer. Would you hide that from uh, your wife? It's like, "Hmm, where have I heard about somebody getting lung cancer and hiding it from their wife and lying and doing things after that? Like, that's a great little. Breaking Bad call out. In uh,
1: fairness, you know Walter doesn't hide the cancer for too long. It's only like what, like four episodes that he keeps it from her. I mean, granted, he does kill a couple of guys first.
0: <laughs> yeah, in the interim uh, while he's hiding things, people are being murdered. But other than that, yeah, uh, and and that is just it speaks to the character, right? Like Walter White was was willing to lie about that cancer to Skylar. Chuck said that he probably would tell her the truth about that so Chuck is no Walter White but on this show which has different stakes than Breaking Bad he is that level of supervillain in Jimmy's world uh, and we've seen the, the, the capers that are playing out and it is this struggle uh, and they have had a face off at this point so I thought a really interesting note there uh, and certainly a good note to end on Josh this will not be the last time we talk this week uh, we have uh, we have Daniel Sackheim directing this episode he also directed this week's episode of the leftovers which is a show that you and i podcast about here at post show recaps i'm looking forward to getting into the feedback from this week's leftover episode we'll record our feedback show later this week i'm having a great time talking about the leftovers this season with you
1: oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. final season of the leftovers and uh, the show that forged our bromance antonio so i'm really excited about that i mean only four episodes left before we close that one and we're doing two podcasts per week so as Antonio. Said We're going to have a feedback show coming up later in the week. We're going to be recording that on Thursday evening. So it's going to be coming your way a little bit later. uh, But that means plenty of time to get feedback in. Of course, we've got our feedback form on Post Show Recaps com slash feedback and we also have an email address leftovers at com. if you're a fan of the leftovers and you want to write in some feedback or if you just listen to the Better Call Saul shows and just want to get like a leftovers cameo like a cameo on the leftovers feedback show you could probably just do that too but like, hey I've got no idea what's going on in the show but I just thought I'd write it in and say hi
0: that sounds like something Johnny De Silvera might be up, up for, uh, <laughs> yeah. the great Johnny De Silvera. We'll shout you uh,
1: out, JDS. You just have to write in with like a fake question of what you imagine The Leftovers is about. <laughs> <laughs> It'll
0: probably be food-related, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that is great. I can't wait to talk about The Leftovers with you. I'm very thankful, Josh, that you joined uh, me this week to talk about Better Call Saul. Even though I miss my Saul Bay, uh, Rob Sesternino, he'll be back next week, and we'll be breaking down the next episode of Better Call Saul here. Maybe we'll just get into more of the Kane Mutiny aspects of this. We're going to see more courtroom stuff Uh, There was some great shout outs to a few good men Kane Mutiny A lot of great things that are out there Uh, If you'll look uh, We'll we'll post a scene uh, that is very similar to the Chuck scene Uh, So it was very fun to talk about Better Call Saul with you this week We will be back next week And always tweet at me I am at AC Mazzaro Josh is at Round Howard, which is like Howard Hamlin, but rounder. And, and Rob is at Rob Sesternino. He will be back next week. If you have any thoughts or comments about this episode, you can leave them in the comments at postshowrecaps.com or you can email us at bcs at postshowrecaps.com. With all that said, Josh, what's a good hashtag for this episode? I love Saul Bay because it's a shout out to our genius friends. Uh, I like Saul Bay. It's like Sun Bay. Uh, so uh, Hugh, yeah, is good. But I'd like to say hashtag Saul Bay, uh, S-A-U-L, or S- yeah, S-A-U-L-B-A-E. So if you want to talk about this podcast episode, use, tweet using the hashtag Saul Bay. And that about wraps us up here this week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week to talk more Better Call Saul here at Post Show Recaps. Take care.